This is Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown, joined in the studio by Hazel Savage. Hazel, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. We're going to talk about music, AI, punk. We are. We're going to talk about all those things. All in one session, and wrapped up. Not one necessarily album. in that order. Not in that order. We're just going to throw them out randomly. But I think before we even get to that, I know you, we're going to talk about what Musio is about, mm -hmm. but let's talk about punk. <laughs> now now sure that you thing. set yourself up. Little known fact here, folks. Hazel Savage was the lead yep. singer and guitar lead guitarist. Yeah, well, we only have one guitarist. Oh, so, so the so guitarist of a, a little known punk band. But I think cult is the word these days. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, super underground, really unheard of, you right. know, really exclusive. Uh, you know, back in London 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Three piece, all girl punk band. Right. Um, Jin Kinta. Jin Kinta. Yeah. People yeah. will be nodding their they'll heads. Be, they'll be, unfortunately, possibly looking me up on YouTube. Oh, wow. And, uh, oh, do you have stuff on YouTube? Yeah, there's a couple of videos on there. Right. There was a couple of, you know, we had, um, that's very unbecoming of a, of a new CEO, but we used to we used to have this trick that we would do, which was where we had this really long intro of a song that was yeah. just like a drum intro. And I used to, like, bet the audience that I couldn't get to the bar, do a shot, and get back on stage before I had to start the right. guitar part. Um, which was basically just an excuse to go and do a shot in the middle of the, yeah. in the middle of the set. So, but and yeah, and you know, I always won. So there that you was... go. Well, even if you lost, still, it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> Everyone's a winner in that yeah. case. Okay. All right. So you were in a punk band. Uh, how long were you in that punk band for? Was it ever a professional decision, or was it just like let's no, just do this? No, I. You know, I got my first guitar when I was thirteen right. for my birthday. My my dad bought me a guitar. I asked for a guitar, and he he got me one, which was great. And so I I played guitar ever since I was thirteen, and then you know. Uh, while I was still back in my hometown, I sort of started in a, you know, playing in a few bands there. And then when I moved to London, it was just, it was kind of a, you know, pre-smartphone, just great way to meet like-minded people. Yeah. And, you know, when I was uh, working at Shazam in London, we would sometimes do three, four shows a week, but it was always of an evening after work. It was never yeah. full time. We were never yeah. that good. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> maybe you should have gone full-time. That was the problem. Uh, maybe, maybe. All right, so, I mean, the reason I ask is we're going to talk about music, and you're talking, you're coming from the, the industry side and solving mm -hmm. the issue of, of music in the industry. What What is the problem that bands have these days? What is the problem with music? Because if we go back a little bit and put all this into context, people were saying that music was going to die out when all the MP3 uh, file-sharing services came out. The labels were saying, this is the end of music. Mm. We're not going to be able to afford to recruit and invest yeah. in talent. This was the end. Yeah. But it seems like music is stronger than ever and that people are making as much money as ever yeah. in music. So where are we now with the music industry? And what's the sort of the big sort of meta level problems that we face? So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a, a huge supporter and fan of the industry. I think the industry, it is doing better than ever. You know, it's seen a, an increase in revenues over the last couple of years. You know, yeah, it, it definitely you know, took a while to figure out how downloads was going to affect the industry. And then it took a little while to figure out how streaming was going to affect the industry. But it's it's back on the on the kind of the upward slant. Mm. Um, and as with any new tech, it, it can take a while to adapt. Um, but for the artist, you know, I'm a I'm a big supporter and a big fan that the way the industry works now for the artist is better than ever. Right. You know, I always think about Actually, yeah, back when I got my first guitar at 13, actually, you know, that uh, my dad very, very kindly got me a Fender Telecaster. That was a 500 pound guitar. It's a thousand dollars today's money. So, you know, the, the the barrier to entry there already is huge just to yeah. get an instrument. And then, you know, when we did want to go into the well, first of all, then I had to go down to 
back down to the uh, the the record shop and and look at the notice board, see if anyone had posted up, you know, pre-internet, see if anyone wanted to join a band. And then once you found people, you got to pay twenty dollars an hour, four hour minimum for a recording studio, um, so a rehearsal studio. Then you got to pay to record. So everything cost the artist so much money, mm. and it was so difficult to get a record out there that it was kind of limited to the people who could afford it and also the people who had access. And so the situation for artists now is better than ever. You know, if you look at, you know, what an artist needs these days to record, home studios are huge. Yeah. You know, even where we are in a, in a radio studio now, the technology that enables us to be here with a Mac and, and webcams, it's come on massively and it's the same for artists. You know, with a, you know, the, the right at the bottom end of the spectrum, you know, someone in the Philippines with a, a $60 Cherry Mobile mm. can download a free beat making app, virtual instruments, record some music, few clicks of the button, that tracks straight on SoundCloud. So you're seeing this amazing explosion of content from all over the world because the barrier to entry for artists mm. is lower than it's ever been, which is a good thing because it means that more people can create and it means that it, the industry is not necessarily segmented towards people who can afford a $1,000 guitar or people who can afford you know, to go into Abbey Road Studio and record. Mm. So that, that's great for the artist. So that's great. But it's also a problem, isn't it? Because we're having an explosion of music. It is, but it's a good problem to right, have. Right, it's a good problem so to it's have. A, it's a good problem to have. So, you know, the and, and what we address with Musio is the idea being that, you know, the record labels haven't changed that much. The mm. A&R teams, you know, the two or three people at the major labels who are responsible for listening to music and finding great new talent, you know, they're still the same teams. But previously, whereas it was very easy to to find out who was doing what and who's recording and, and who's putting out good music. Now, you know, it's 30,000 new songs a day getting yeah. uploaded to Spotify, 72 hours worth of content uploaded a minute onto SoundCloud. You know, they physically can't listen to everything. Even if you hired a thousand people, you still couldn't listen to everything. Yeah. So what we tried to do is build a technology that would bring the industry up to speed with where the artist is. All right. Well, let's have a look then. Let's jump into the pitch deck and we'll have a look at some of the, the slides nice. so people can get a better handle of it. Um, I know AI is mentioned. We'll come to that in a minute. Let's talk about the problem. Mm. As you say, 30,000 new songs a day uploaded online. You, you mentioned Spotify and the sort of the major catalogs and the major yeah. platforms as well. Are you counting in YouTube, for example? No. So I think 30,000, I mean, 30,000 is a number that we can confirm yeah. onto the main streaming platforms, you know, via platforms like CD Baby, Ditto, TuneCore, DistroKid, you know, the songs that officially go through those, yeah. those distributors, it's about 30,000. But as I say, if you look at everything that's uploaded onto SoundCloud, maybe even apps like BandLab, you know, uh, Dropbox, you know, what files are being uploaded, it's, you know, some, some people estimate it's more like 200,000 tracks a day. Right, yeah, exactly. Okay, so why, why is that a, a problem? Why, why is it a problem that, I know you mentioned A&R, for example. You know, why is it a problem for them? Maybe you can explain how it would work in the traditional sense because you've worked for Universal Music. And sure have. Yeah, for yep. the labels, the big guys, right? How do they do A&R traditionally? Yeah, so so the traditional sort of way to do A&R is to, you're looking to discover artists that you want to sign, that you want to develop. So at a, at a label like Universal where I used to work, the idea being is you have these teams of, of A&R whose job it is is to scout new talent, sign new talent, develop new talent. And, you know, the traditional networks of, you know, being introduced to music by people you trust, right. going to live shows is still 
still an option. But what we're seeing because of this explosion of content is maybe some of the best artists are out there uploading music online in locations that aren't traditionally known for mm. for sourcing great talent and these people can be anywhere on the economic scale they can be in indonesia they can be in the philippines and it's still great music but it's not possible to find who these great artists are so because the traditional method is you would you know your friend would recommend something you'd listen to it you'd say if you wanted to sign it or not but now it's not even physically possible to yeah. listen to everything uploaded to spotify in one day i think it would take 70 days 24 hours a day to listen to one day's worth of uploads right to listen to everything right so it's a losing game if you're kind of trying to employ people yeah. especially skilled people to do that right it's just not manually possible right okay so how are without your solution how are record labels trying to deal with that or are they so, that, yeah, there's a couple of ways. I mean, you know, they do sort of still use the old sort of tried and tested methods of, of um, you know, if a, if a friend says, hey, hear this band, you should check them out. Right. They'll, you know, they'll still go through radio pluggers. They'll sort of look in the press, see who's see who's buzzing. But the idea is with A&R, the earlier you can get in with an artist, mm. the sooner you can find them, the better advantage you have of being able to do a deal before your competition is, say, maybe able to sign them. Uh, there is some other technical solutions that have come out in, in recent years. Yep. So, for example, um, there's a lot of companies that uh, that use what we call uh, third-party aggregated data. I'm working on a snappier name for it. Mm. But basically, it's like, you know, if you can use open API information, get Spotify plays, get Facebook likes, get Instagram followers, and then somehow be able to monitor all of that metadata and be able to then say, ah, this is trending. So that's kind of an existing system. And there's about right. 20 companies out there that, that do this level of open API metadata analysis. But what our customers tell us and what the labels tell us when we talk to them is, you know, by the time something shows on one of these platforms, it's kind of too late. Right. You know, if it's already if, it, if it's got 10,000 plays on Spotify right. and then it pings on one of these platforms, 10,000 people are already there ahead of you. Right. And that means it's going to be harder to get the better deal with the artist and they're going to have people knocking on their doors. Well, potentially they could have, uh, you know, they could already have a deal. Right, they could already yeah. be working with someone else. They could be in the position where they think, actually, you know, we have enough traction. We're not interested in doing a deal. Right. I mean, the, the artist has the choice these days, which is great. Right. But, you know, it sort of gets to a point where how do you identify an artist? And and I think the other problem with some of those sort of open API data aggregators is you they don't touch the music at all. So someone who's very good at, you know, marketing, Facebook campaigns, um, promoting themselves uh, could flag on one of these platforms without the music really being what the labels are looking yeah. for at all. And where we differ with our product is that we only need we use the audio itself, which is a unique approach, and we don't need any of the data. Right. So Let's have a look at that yeah. then. So we'll jump back into the solution part. We can have a look at the pitch deck again. So on slide four. This is the top level view yep. of what the tool is itself. So explain to me what exactly it does. So what we've done is we've built an artificial intelligence that can mm. listen to music. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the top line. But what that means in, in reality is we take the audio files. We can take a small section of the audio file, uh, transform the audio itself into a mathematical visualization. Then from those visualizations, we're able to extract features. 
and we're able to identify patterns, ones that aren't visible to the human eye. But once you do a mathematical visualization, you can extract several thousand features per track. And then what you do is you train the AI what to look for. Right. And that will tell me what? Whatever you want to know. So, so would it give me an, an, a rough idea of genre? Yep, yep. Genre tagging uh, can be completely automated. Right. If you have a data set to, you know, if I if I train an AI, if I give it 500 rock songs and I say, this is what a rock song looks like, right. then with about 95% accuracy, it can tell when it's got another rock song. Right, and that will be based on, for example, it's going to look firstly maybe at the rhythms and the patterns and music. Yep. It'll be able to go in and identified particular types of instruments and so on yeah i mean you can pretty much break down all the music into its right. sort of consummate parts and the way i often describe it and i often use guitar because as i mentioned i'm a guitar mm. player myself so you know the the second the song starts if i think about the way my brain processes it you know the minute i hear a guitar well first of all i go that's a guitar and then i go okay is it acoustic electric mm. and then i say well if it's electric how many strings are we talking probably six could be more and then I think, what pedals do I think it's being played through? Which amplifier do I think it's being played through? How do I think this was recorded? Is this a mic in front of a Marshall stack? Is it mm. a DI? And then I go, okay, now I've kind of assessed those things in my brain. How talented is the person playing? Like, how well are they playing what they're playing? Right, how but complex... how, could an AI, how could an AI algorithm detect that Well, that's that it. Once you, once you break it down into its, its consummate parts right. and you're able to isolate the instrument and you're able to identify the features, I mean, you know, Steve Vai is an incredibly talented guitar mm -hmm. player. And if you have enough talented guitar players in different genres, you're able to say to an AI, this is what that looks like. Right. And so it can only learn, an AI can only learn what you can teach it. Mm. So you have to teach it based on existing data. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? When you get into the subject of art in any yeah. form, anything creative, and you apply mm. the subject of AI to it, yeah. it's interesting that a lot of people react negatively to yeah, it because sure. it's like, you know, this is unquantifiable. You know, mm. how could you talk about Steve Vai versus, you know, that means maybe a machine could replicate this, you know, all yeah. those kind of things. How, how do you, you know, how do you look at a piece of art and actually work out or listen to it whether that is talent mm. because surely a lot of it is storytelling isn't it i mean if you mm. take you know any great guitarist right steve vai as an example or if you take um jimmy page for example yep. so i mean th those people have stories backstories they have yeah all of that that goes with them that doesn't exist in the actual audio mm. itself. How do, how do you then identify talent? Because there, there are people who are more talented. That's the point. But yeah. they're probably not as appealing. Yeah. Oh, there's so, so many points to discuss here. So, I mean, interestingly, a lot of people, not us, but a lot of other companies are focused on getting AI to write music. Yeah. Um, that's not a p particular passion of mine. Um, I've People have played me guitar solos that AIs have written. I'm not particularly impressed. And as yeah. you say, there's no backstory there, you know, and there's no one in the industry who's rubbing their hands together going, I can't wait for more of that robot guitar. It's just not there. It's not, it's not a desire. And when you build a business, you have to look at what the need is. And then I think secondly, yeah, you know, how could you compare, you know, a, an artist like Steve Vai to an artist like, you know, Kurt Vile? Very, very different style of playing, totally different instruments. Yeah. I mean, what we, what we do and what we claim 
with our businesses. I'm not here to look at those 30,000 new songs a day on Spotify and tell you categorically, this is the one new big hit. But what I am doing is saying, you know, say you're working for a major label and you're working in their jazz imprint and you have a particular slant for signing female vocalists. What I am saying is I'll take that 30,000, I'll be able to listen to it in a matter of hours and I'll be able to give you the top 5% of what you're interested in. So it's really, it's a filter. It's, you still need the people at the other end. It's about building tools that help those people be more efficient. It's not about replacing anyone in the industry. And actually that was something I was really passionate about because I've been in the music industry for so long. It was a, it was really important to me not to build something that destroyed the industry or damaged the industry. You know, I was very passionate about building something that really helped grow the ecosystem. You've mentioned some very interesting points, Hazel. The first one being is that, you know, build tools to solve the industry's problem, solve the problem. We don't have a problem with people creating music, do we? No, we we love it. There's a lot. There's enough. There's every 13-year-old kid out there picking up a guitar in the world. There's no shortage of that. No. And all those kids now, they got access to Fruity Loops or the, you know, the, the iPhone or whatever it might be. No shortage. We don't have a problem. And we don't need to improve it in any way because... Mm. As much as people say the industry mu- industry of music was going to die out, it's back and it's got as many talented musicians out there as ever. Absolutely. I mean, this whole idea, oh, they were better back in the day. They're out there. There's, there's, there's no shortage of talent. So let's put that aside. So mm. using AI doesn't make sense in that context because we don't need more music. Yeah. or better music it's there the yeah. problem is is that we don't know what's there because yeah. there's so much of it so exactly. you're saying use the tool to solve the problem and what you do is you sift through all this information mm. you break it down deconstruct it look for the patterns yeah and you then do all the heavy lifting for the anr people so mm-hmm. to speak and then deliver them uh, a, a better set of results which can help them do their research and say these are the people you should look at but at the end of the day it's a human being that has to make that decision right, definitely about yeah what talent is and i mean another another great example was i was uh you know uh, my co-founder who's our artificial intelligence developer super smart guy you know trying to explain uh we were having a discussion one day about genres and the the problem with genres you know when you're trying to define genres you're trying to use create an ai that can automatically identify a genre is a lot of genres are just social indicators you know yeah. so i mean i refer to my all girl punk band as an all girl punk band there are people who would probably hear the audio and say you guys are a pop band you know right. it's but that's how we defined ourselves and also you know if i i was talking about the genre shoegaze Okay, which shoegaze is like a subsection of indie music. Yeah, I was about so, to say it must yeah. be indie. So so called because when the um and I, this doesn't work so well on radio, but when the when the guitar players in the shoegaze bands would play their guitars, they would sway side to side while looking at their shoes. Hence the name shoegaze. Right. But if you're just listening to the audio, how can you tell indie from shoegaze? Yeah. Because it's a visual indicator. So often genres can be social, they can be visual. They can be self-defining. It, it's what makes building an AI, an, an AI product in music so challenging. Mm. But just because it's challenging and there are these these issues doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Right. But at the end of the day, if you can narrow down and eliminate most of the noise, you're not saying this is categorically what it's going to be, but you can eliminate much of the noise for somebody. Yeah. That's enough, isn't it? Okay, maybe that he might be looking for indie, but he gets a shoegaze one in there as well. He might be, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you've kind of like reduced the odds of them making a mistake by missing out on 
noise exactly you know, right. Signal, and right actually um when we were looking at the the pitch deck earlier uh slide four when we look at the the first segment of the industry we addressed which is yeah. sync so sync is short for synchronization it's production music that's sold for films tv advertising gaming right. and so basically you often see companies that have a really large catalog half a mil or more tracks and essentially, you know, what they'll do is they'll get a customer request. Someone, you know, say you guys wanted a, a new jingle for the for the for the for the show. You would call up one of these production companies and go, you know, we've got something in mind. It sounds a bit like this. Maybe you'd have a reference track um, and we're looking to license something. And so then what you'd be looking at is a curator would have to go through their half right, a million yeah. tracks and find you something. Yeah. And currently that's a completely manual process. So anyone with a large volume of music that they need to sort for any reason can be can be benefited from from the power of AI. Right, and this must be an increasing challenge for the major labels because mm -hmm. we still have the majors. I mean, I don't know how many there are now. There's three. Three now. There yeah, used to be four three. or five when I was sort of working with the industry. Yeah, so, yeah. But I was working on sort of from the telecom side. So when right. we talked to people like that, I think there was four at the time. And then they kind of merge and merge and merge and they acquire all the sort of the sub-labels, don't they? So they must have, these three must have catalogs. If you look at the whole portfolio, yeah. Of how I mean, they many do. Minutes? They can have, you know, there's basically the three majors now are Universal Music, Sony, and Warner. Right. And they can have several hundred sub labels within them where they've acquired catalogs. And, you know, if you look at company uh, Island Records, Beggar's Banquet, Infectious Records, they're all now sub labels of, of mm. other, other larger labels. Okay. All right. Jump back in. Let's have a look at the, um, the top level data you've sort of alluded to already. We have a look at the market size here. Music industry, 17 billion. Where's the money? So seven. this is just the recorded music industry. Right. I should say that as well. This 17, Doesn't include live? No, 17.3 right. billion USD, 2017. Is, uh, it's, it doesn't include anything other than the recorded music industry. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination. It's streaming just under 40%, but growing year on year. Uh, digital, which is all of the digital sales outside of streaming. Performance rights, sync, which is that yeah. sort of 2% and growing that, that I discussed before. And then the only segment that's decreasing there is physical. So physical sales is down 5.4% in 2017, but still makes up 30% of the industry. I'm still surprised it makes 30%. I think it's like different territories. And, you uh, know, yeah. like Japan, even Japan. Japan's like, yeah. still big on CDs. CD sales. <laughs> yeah, they, they love it. And it's phenomenal. I mean, I must They're admit, hanging in there with CDs. Yeah, and you know, like I still, you know, there's still a, a market for vinyl. There's a market for... Yeah. Um, there's a, a the, I forget the term for it, but you know, quite often um, companies now will do like a big limited edition a box, box set, set. Yeah. lots of lots of um, you know deluxe products that mm. people will spend money on. So there's still a, a physical element of of sales there. Right, and streaming obviously is a, is a massive part of it now. I mean, definitely. So definitely. how does that you know how, when you just focus on the recorded music side of the industry, it's a 17 billion live. Obviously, is another thing entirely, but yeah. Now that artists are signing contracts, they, a lot of what they talk about is the 360 contract, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and actually, um, obviously, you know, we're a relatively new company, so we are focused on um, the sort of three initial segments of sync, 
record labels and streaming. Mm. However, you know, I have had some discussions with uh, people in the live music industry. You know, can this tool be utilized to discover great artists yeah. to 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 do bookings for festivals? And I think the answer is, yeah, it absolutely can. You know, you can use the same audio data to identify great people. You would need to add in additional streams of like geographical data, tour dates. But yeah, you could absolutely um, use the AI as a, a cornerstone of a product for the live industry. Mm. But obviously, you know, I think we've got that kind of earmarked for year two. Okay, one step at a time. Exactly. All right, um, I jump back in. Your um, business itself, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 35 now. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't ask a lady that question on there. No, you, how totally, you totally can ask how old I am. Do I'm you know 46, why? so there Do you know you go. why? It's my birthday on Thursday. Oh, is it? Happy it's, birthday. Yeah, that's why I'm so excited about telling everyone how old I am. <laughs> so you'll be 35 or 36? I, I'll be 35 on Thursday. So officially I'm only 34. 34. But actually that's an interesting thing. A lot of people do not ask me directly but as a as a founder of a business yeah. um you know the age you are kind of does matter because it sort of shows so? how long well i you know maybe it does maybe it doesn't matter but people want to know for sure yeah. like how long have you been doing what you're doing you know how how experienced are you yeah. and on the flip side of it as well you know my co-founder and i are exactly the same age mm. he's three months older but it just means that you know when building a business together we come from a really similar yeah perspective. Mindset. yeah totally um you know i love these kind of like fresh grads you know 22 and they you know rule the world but i i know you know we would probably be at a very different place in life it's it's it can be hard so yeah no you're completely right i mean okay i wasn't asking you about your age but <laughs> we'll come to that in a minute all right let me off the hook but i mean the the point that you made is really interesting one is that there's a group of and it's it, probably the majority of the people that come into this show mm and share their story who are yeah of, of an age where they they have sort of 15 to 20 years experience in an industry yeah they know what's broken yeah that's the point i mean even just before you sankar shangri who's like the ceo of lala world you uh -huh. know he spent all his working life in deutsche bank and um jp morgan so he comes from the, the investment world but now he's out there trying to build products for the you know decentralized products for the unbanked right yeah. in india for example yeah. he knows what doesn't work a lot of people like as an example like that they have 15 to 20 years of experience mm. they offer a lot because there's this real narrative isn't there that you know to be a startup founder and build a billion dollar app you've got to be 22 years old yeah. straight out of stanford university and yeah. you know in sandals yeah and you're just going straight into the accelerator raise a billion dollars and it's all good right yeah but you know what's broken you know what the pain point is and yeah there we go and, and i do you know i think as well having the expertise in the music industry you know i do get a lot of um very well-meaning advice about what people think i should do and, and, right. and what people people have great ideas for me and 99 percent of them are completely illegal like right. and would, oh, okay. would result in you being sued instantly by yeah. all of the labels and you know navigating a really complex industry like the music industry you know that's not to say great inspirational products can't come out of anywhere but being able to build something and knowing how the legislation works and yeah. knowing the players and knowing what they want is a massive advantage to to somebody coming in cold. Yes, for sure. Exactly. And before I get to the main question is that you're completely right. And maybe people don't appreciate it and you appreciate it more than anybody having been in the industry is how regulated mm. audio is compared to video as an example. Yeah. So, for example, I can't on YouTube post, you know, like, samples of music yeah. and use it in a video without it you know performing rights would be an issue and yeah. so on or mechanical copyright or whatever it's called right so 
that's an issue. Whereas with video, I've got fair use. Yeah. I can I can do a, a you know Graham reacts to this punk band type video. Yeah, right. Yeah. I can do that, and it's cool. Uh-huh. But with the audio, it's absolutely not cool. So it's so heavily regulated. You need to understand that landscape. Definitely, right? definitely. And yeah, that's that's a a big part of building the business. And you know, um, a lot of a lot of uh, you know developers I spoke to before I met my co-founder were like, oh, why don't we just go and rip everything off Spotify, and why don't we just create a bot that does this? And I'm like absolutely no way like that's just a shortcut to being worth absolutely nothing right you know so um even though you were in a punk band even though i was in a punk band yeah what's what does that say about me i don't <laughs> think i have an answer for that <laughs> there you go all right well let's come to um the the question i wanted to ask about your business and the company itself how old are you the collective you the collective museo uh six months six months six months so you started this six months ago how have you funded it up until now uh, so we were part of a startup incubator. Yeah. So I met my co-founder through Entrepreneur First, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of a London, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Berlin uh, startup incubator. And they specialize in deep tech. Mm-hmm. So they attract deep tech individuals and then domain experts like myself. And so we met, yep, just earlier this year through the startup incubator, uh, got some initial sort of, they call it pre-seed funding mm-hmm. uh, from the incubator. And that's what we've been using to build so far. Okay. And was that here in Singapore? Here in Singapore. And um, why did you go to an incubator with your idea? Um, so actually, Entrepreneur First is a, a pre-idea incubator. Right. So I didn't have an idea when I joined. They they take individuals from a technical product or domain background hmm. that don't necessarily have an idea, but are game to start a company. Um, and same with my co-founder. You know, he's got 15 years experience experimenting with AI that could have technically been applied to many different right, industries. Right. But for him, it was about finding someone he wanted to work with and finding someone who had the commercial and, and knowledge to be able to build in a specific vertical. So we didn't know each other pre-incubator. We didn't have an idea pre-incubator. And um, that's actually a big part of it. I always thought that I would run my own company and I mm. always thought that I that would be something I would do. And I was just kind of waiting to have an idea. And uh, I just thought that one day I'd have an idea and that completely doesn't work like that at all. You know, the minute I joined the incubator and I sat with my co-founder and we actually talked about the issues in the industry and which of them could be solved by tech. That's how you come yeah. to an idea. They don't, they don't yeah. just magically appear in your head, yeah. which is how I thought it worked. Exactly. They often come when you're talking to somebody and they, they talk back to you, you hear mm. it told back to you that's where you hear those ideas yeah you know you get that insight from getting it out putting it out into the world and hearing what it sounds like with through other people's exactly right you know perspective yeah all right well let's have a look at you you went through the um incubator let's have a look at the pitch deck and if we can we'll we'll fast forward to the team we'll come to in a minute but the raise itself and then we'll jump back to the team and have a look who you guys actually are because you mentioned your co-founder a number of times so you're raising at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're raising, why you're raising, and who you want to partner with on this? Absolutely. So we are raising 750,000 uh, Singaporean dollars, and that gives us 18-month runway uh, to grow the team, uh, to operate the office, and to work with our kind of go-to-market planning. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We are we have a lot of interest currently from angels and high net worth individuals. I think you know the music industry is attractive from that perspective uh, that that a lot of people want to be involved. A lot of people can sort of understand the market that we're in and and why this would be needed. Uh, and we're currently um, looking to and talking to VCs, looking for that lead investor. Mm-hmm. Okay, strategic investors, or I mean, there's a lot of money out there at the moment. There is a lot of, is a lot of money. money. I mean, it's 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 difficult, especially with the vertical that we're in, because yeah. you know a lot of um, through the incubator, you know, the incubator does an amazing job of finding great VCs who are in medtech, fintech, um, and a, a pharma manufacturing. You know, there isn't really a lot of music tech this side mm. of the world it's not and even fact, a word i hear no and it's whereas in you know in the us there's a startup incubator just for music tech yeah you know and there's a lot of vcs that in the us that just invest in music tech so it i think it'll be very difficult for us to that it's very unlikely to have someone in this region who is a strategic investor mm. just in our vertical but that doesn't mean there aren't smart people who can understand what we're doing yeah um and you know we also have a smart team of advisors um that that know what they're doing in the music industry and in the business world so i'm open all ears okay good well let's have a look at some of your team at the moment if we can just jump back to the pitch deck um y- you've mentioned your co-founder Aaron 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 Aaron. okay um is that a Swedish name it's a Swedish name there you go what is it with Swedish guys and music they seem to they got they got it all going on over there they got all the Swedish they got all the Swedish music tech yeah and then not only that but they also have that for a period they were producing a lot of pop bands out of Sweden well there's like a factory producing all these sort of artists yeah a couple of a couple of the sort of big record producers are are Swedish so So there's a good heritage there I mean it makes sense Uh, the UK for example probably one of the strongest music markets in the world per per capita Uh uh but Sweden's probably second best these days isn't it (laughs) just because there's only about three million of them I know it's offence I'm joking so well it's it's, it was a pure coincidence I didn't deliberately go out looking for a a Swedish (laughs) co-founder but I suppose it does look look pretty good for anyone who knows the uh the britain a swede yeah, yeah there you go britain a swede so in terms of that setup how does that split in terms of how you're organized you're the ceo are you more sort of front facing are you more out there you know networking yeah so obviously a lot of it's my contacts in the industry um you know having worked at you know shazam pandora universal uh you know the music industry is a relatively closed network um but once you're in and they know you and they like you and they trust you um you know you can you can uh get things done so you know that's that's where i come in um and also i can keep us on the right side of legislation in terms of building a product and making those connections and also identifying what works and what the industry needs. So yeah. that's uh, that's what that's what I do. And I was, you know, in a previous life, a uh, head of marketing. So I also enjoy the marketing and the PR and the sort of commercial side of the business. Mm-hmm. That's the bit I really enjoy. Good. And Aaron is, uh, he's the guy that builds the AI. He's the guy that builds the AI. Yeah. So he's our CTO, um, which, you know, he has a degree in physics, a master's in molecular biology, mm. spent a year in Japan doing robotics, specializing in neuroscience, That's co- what you need, yeah. coding for 17 years, uh, you know, practicing AI for 15 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he um, once built an AI that played the Swedish stock market. 
and he made himself 28% return for Good eight for years him. in a row. Yeah, there you so go. I That's kind of what you want. He's got your back on the technological side. So there's the two of you. Is uh-huh. anybody else in the team at the moment? Yeah, yeah. We have a few additional team members. Yeah. So, you know, we've order. sort of, uh, uh, they're not they're not in this, uh, they're the advisors, this, this okay. deck. But if you head to our LinkedIn page, there's yeah. a nice little, I posted up last night, a little photo of us all. So Right, how many of you? At uh, the six. Here in Singapore? All here in Singapore. That's an expensive place to bootstrap a business. No? Um, yes and no. Like, I think for... We, we get a lot of really amazing people that want to come and work for us because yeah. they want to work in music and we don't really have any competition. You know, so if you want to work in music and you want to work in music tech, it's kind of my company or the previous company that I worked for. Right, exactly. There's not a lot There's else not, going on. Right, well, it's good for you if you so want. So it's, it's good for us because we can attract people who really passionately want to yeah. do what we do. Um, and especially on the music curation side, you know, we are able to hire people who've just finished like a four-year music degree. Yeah. Um, so they got like, uh, you know, they're often grade eight on multiple instruments. They're professional audio engineers. And we really get the highest highest caliber of, of candidates yeah and the singaporean candidates are fantastic well i want to ask you that let's say i'm into music i'm into technology i'm really interested in what you're doing hazel because mm. i've heard your story um i want to come and work with you and help build this thing because mm-hmm. i think it's going somewhere and i believe in the mission what are you looking for do you have particular hard skills that you're looking out for or are you particularly looking for a, a certain attitude of a person? You know, tell us a little bit about that and the culture of the company. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of both. And I think, you know, quite often myself and my co-founder, we interview all candidates, both of us. Often Aaron is is checking for their technical skills. You know, yeah. are they the sort of back-end developer or front-end developer that they claim to be? If they're doing AI in particular, you know, looking at previous projects, do they have a GitHub account? You know, do they have they worked on any open source projects? That's very important for us to believe that they can do the job. Um, but more importantly, we can probably really train for a lot of those soft mm. skills. You know, if, you're, if your boss is Aaron and he's been doing it for 17 years, I mean, he's not just AI, he's full stack. So he, he pretty much can do everything. So if you want to work for someone who knows the tech, he's a great person to work for. When it comes to the industry, I don't specifically need people who have a lot of industry contacts or um, are, are bringing that to the table. But I want someone who's really passionate and who wants to learn and who has the right attitude. And that's and that's more important. You know, what is have, that attitude? Um, driven, right. ambitious, uh, excited, yeah. non-biased about music. You know, I think I I always laugh. I got an an application once and, you know, I always ask people just as a first question via email. I say, yeah, you know, what kind of music are you into? What's your favorite genre? And, you know, one person once replied with to that question with, I like all genres, but I hate country and metal. Right. And. To be honest, country and metal are two of my favorite things. So oh, that's my CV, dear. That's, that's a bad start. That CV went straight yeah, in the bin. That interview was bin. going nowhere. But also, if you answer a question with a negative, I asked you what you liked. I didn't yeah, ask yeah. you what you hated. Yeah. And if your first reaction is to tell me what you don't like, it might not be the right fit. So when, when you're asking them, are you looking for people who are passionate about music? Is that the starting point if they're not passionate about music? So, for example, if somebody says, yeah, I'm really into country and metal, and this is why, and I went to see this gig, and I love this upcoming artists and this is what i use is that what you're looking for somebody who actually lives this stuff yeah that's i mean that's a that's a great additional additional feature i think especially on the music side the curation team Mm. which is the team that i lead if you if you aren't passionate about music if you're not a musician or a, a djing or going to excessive shows or running your own kind of side hustle in the space 
then you're probably not the right fit. Yeah. Uh, on the technical side, that's less important um, because then it's really about working with the music team to make sure that we can translate those music, not that music knowledge into something a computer mm. can understand. I mean, yeah, an ideal, a unicorn is someone who has both, but yeah. it's not, not necessarily the, the be all and the end all. Yeah, interesting insights. And I think as well is that I, I recruit here and I have recruited in previous businesses as well. And mm. one of the questions I always ask, which you've alluded to today is that, you know, what have they done outside of where somebody paid them or told them if they were like, you know, their lecturer at university or their parents? Yeah. You know, what have they done outside of that? So did they set up a GitHub account? Did they, you know, are they a DJ? Have they got yeah. a side hustle? For me, that's more important than what's on the CV because that tells me that when they go away from the office tonight, mm -hmm. they're going to work on something, which, yeah. you know, is what they're passionate about. They don't need to be told to do this stuff. Yeah. They just find a way. Yeah. That's so insightful, you know, in terms of looking at that person and Definitely. how they're actually going to perform Definitely. in the real world of a startup. And actually a, a really extreme version of that at my, my last company, um, I used to get a lot of candidates coming in and they would answer in a very sort of stock fashion yeah. that they are trained to do and i you know in a music company you're always looking for personality you're looking for someone to be themselves and then this one candidate showed up he shall remain nameless big favorite of mine but basically he showed up and he looked like he looked terrible he looked exhausted and i was just like are you okay man what's going on and he was like oh so hungover i was at the metallica show last yeah. night <laughs> and i was like dude i was at the metallica show there and then that, that started like a half an hour conversation about metallica and i was like yeah to be fair he showed up to the interview hungover which is probably a bit of a no-no but look at the personality yeah. this guy's passionate this guy lives it you know this guy went to the show and still showed up that's the guy i want to hire and i did hire him and he was amazing <laughs> excellent that's a great story <laughs> hazel savage everybody co-founder and ceo of musio hazel it's been great having you on the show thank you so much really enjoyed it and um you know please share us any updates in the future come back on the show and share an update with the journey with musio and you know pre-post raise you from now on you're going to constantly be raising so <laughs> you're in it True. now you're in it i know so um the journey that you're on be fascinating to see how that unfolds uh -huh. and how your team grows as well so please come and share that with us but it's been a real privilege today hazel thanks so much thank you so much graham